Would you open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1? John chapter 1. When we come to a service like this, we're aware that there are here people who have needs. People, some people whose hearts are broken because of sorrow. Some who have passed through the fire of tribulation and trial. And others whose loved ones are sick and they have a prayer on their hearts as they come to God's house that the Lord would touch them with healing. And there are still others who are confused and some who have chaos and others who are on the brink of death. And perhaps that applies to each one of us because no one knows how long his tenure here is in the house in which God has given him. And so it's an awesome thing to come to a service, to preach the Word of God. And I'm more and more aware that only the Holy Spirit can bring conviction and only Jesus can accomplish that which is eternal. And I would humbly ask you to, this morning to pray for me as I preach. Now let's pray for an anointed heart. Let's pray for open ears. Let's pray for God's will to be done in our lives. May we pray together now. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for the privilege of being in God's house today. We thank thee for this assembly of believers. We have a kinship to people who are meeting in Jesus' name around the world. And we would pray for them, some our brothers and sisters behind curtains of tragic agnosticism and atheism who are meeting secretly, some meeting openly in defiance of the laws of their land. We pray for those. And we pray this morning that thou wilt meet with us here in power. Lift the loads from people who are almost staggering beneath that load. We pray thou wilt touch blind eyes and cause them to see and lift heart burdens, cause people to rejoice in Christ. And Father, those who are without the Lord, without any hope, may they be saved today, coming to Christ. And some who have been saved, may they have the holy anointing of God, the boldness of God to step out in this service to let the church know that Jesus is in their heart. Have thine own way in Christ's name. Holy Spirit, do thy work for Jesus' sake. Amen. In John chapter 1, we begin with verse 15. John bore witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spoke. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, 
he hath declared him. And this is the witness of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elijah? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight in the way of make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they who were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elijah, nor that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Beth Abara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. This is he. I'll not read further, because this portion of the Scripture presents that which I feel the Holy Spirit would have laid upon our hearts this morning. The subject this morning, the voice of one crying. The voice of one crying. I could be tempted this morning to speak of the voices of the world that are crying in the night. Think of the thousands in India who are crying because of physical hunger and they have not enough to eat. And I'm sure many of you, as is true in my own life, we receive letters from the Orient and from people who are interested in helping folks in the Orient with little pictures of starving children. A little boy or a little girl looking up out of eyes that are way back in their sockets. And you can tell that malnutrition is written all across that face and that little body, and they're crying in the night from starvation. Or we could think of our Christian friends and brothers in communist-controlled countries where they are crying for somebody to give them a Bible, or for somebody to preach to them, or for somebody to come and tear down those walls of agnosticism and atheism so that there can be liberty in the land. Or we can think of here in this land, America, people who are enchained by sin. They look on their right hand and on their left and refuge fails them. They cry out from their soul, Who cares? Does anybody really care about me? They're lonely. They get up lonely. 
They eat lonely. They go to their work lonely. And they go to bed at night lonely. Oh, they're surrounded by people. But with all the people, there's a gnawing loneliness in their soul. I have to discipline myself to bring my thoughts into captivity this morning, lest I would go talking about all of the voices of the world that are crying out. But I believe what God is laying on my heart this morning is a reenactment of what John said in that jungle of the Jordan. The Lord God put it upon John's heart as the forerunner of Jesus, the one who was destined to introduce the Lamb of God to go down to the Jordan jungle and to preach. Somehow it pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching, people could be saved, people could be warned. And John went down there to preach. And we don't have exact copies of his manuscript. There was no amanuensis sitting there to take down everything he said. There was no tape recording apparatus there to take down everything he said. But we have glimpses of it in the Word of God. He was down at the Jordan preaching. And what a message he preached, a message of repentance. And they came from Jerusalem down there, the scribes and the Pharisees sent out by the religious leaders of the day, and they said, Who are you? What are you doing baptizing down here? And John said, I am the voice. Notice he didn't say I'm an echo. There are so many echoes today. Everybody wants to be like everybody else. There are so many copies today. Everybody wants to imitate everybody else. There are no originals, it seems. You turn on a television program, in Atlanta, it's the same television program you get in Louisville, the same one you get in Los Angeles, the same one you get in Bowling Green. They're all alike, national, international television. You pick up a newspaper in New York City, and you get on a plane and fly as fast as you can to New Orleans, and you pick up a newspaper and you read the same thing in those newspapers. Nothing different. We live in what Wendell Wilkie described as one world. They tell me that it's true in London and Frankfurt and in Rome and all around the world, same thing. And you go to a school in Louisville, and you go to a school in Atlanta, you go to a school in, in Phoenix, you go down to a high school over in uh, Chicago, and look at them, same styles. Same, kind of doing the same old thing, everybody. We have a world of echoes. There are not very many voices in this world. You look at the average teenager, and I, I think, and I thank God for the young people of our church. I know they have ups and downs, but God put in my bones a love for young people, and I love them. And I think we have the greatest young people in the world. I love them. But you look at the average young man, young woman, they want to be like everybody else. They don't want to be different. They don't want to have any kind of identity. 
They want to get lost in the crowd. If the men all have long hair, that's what they want. The teenagers want it. If the girls all have sawed-off sawed skirts, well, that's what the girls want because they want to be like everybody else. If they all wear pants, that's what they want. Matter of fact, I'm told today you can't, that ladies can hardly buy a dress anywhere because everybody's wearing pants. Is that true? Ladies, just nod your head. Yeah. They want to be like everybody else. I'm not being critical. I'm making an observation. And when they came down to the Jordan River, they said, John, who are you? What kind of an echo are you? We're an echo of this and this and this. What are you? John said, I'm not an echo. He said, I am a voice. And I am asking today for some voices to arise from this congregation, from our young people, from our men, from our women, from Christians in general, for there to be a voice to cry out in a wilderness of sin. They said, John, who are you? Are you that Christ? They, you see, they recognized something in him that was different and they didn't know exactly what it was, so they said, are you that one that was to come? Are you the Messiah? Oh, no, John said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. Well, then, John, what are you? Are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Are you one of the prophets? No, I'm not one of the prophets. Who are you? He said, I am the voice. And to understand what John was saying, you'd have to read Isaiah 40. For out of the dark, tragic experience of the people of God in Babylonian captivity when they sat down and hung their harps on willow trees and they sat down to weep and somebody said, sing a song of Zion. And they said, how can we sing a song of Zion in a foreign land? Our hearts are broken. God said, Isaiah, you go down there and say to them this, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received at the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Now, that's what John was talking about, Isaiah 40. He said, I am that voice, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, for just a moment, let's find out why they were so interested in that voice. Look in Matthew chapter 3, please. You, you see, John was doing some preaching, I'll tell you. Uh, John was not the kind of preacher that stood in the pulpit on Sunday and said, I thank all of you for being so gracious and in honoring us by your presence today and I hope I will not offend anybody by any little old thing that I say and if I happen to offend anybody for anything that I said I'm sorry that I've offended you and John wasn't that kind of a preacher or a voice here's what he said you turn to Matthew 3 please and verse 5 and they went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about the Jordan, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruit befitting repentance. Think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, 
Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And on and on he went. They said, John, what kind of a person are you talking to us like this, calling us snakes and vipers and so on? Well, that's the kind of preacher John was. And he said, I'm not an echo, I'm a voice. And ladies and gentlemen, they beheaded John the Baptist for being a voice. You young men that have been called to preach, do not expect to fare better than John the Baptist or your Lord, our Christ Jesus, whom they crucified. When a man or a woman or a Christian, anyone today, is daring to take a stand for Christ, there are going to be people who won't like him. Some will call him an old fogey. Some will call him an old fool. Some will call him old-fashioned. Some will say, well, he's just stubborn. Some will say, well, he doesn't know what will appeal to people. And some will say he hasn't taken the Dale Carnegie course of how to win friends and influence people. I don't think John took that course, incidentally. John said, I'm a voice. I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, I want to apply that in three ways this morning. Number one, and I pray this for myself and for our church and for our people and for individuals here this morning. I want to pray that God would make me, God would make you, that God would make every young man here who has been called to preach, that God would make every deacon, that God would make every Sunday school teacher, that God would make every disciple, every believer, every Christian here this morning a voice, a voice of preparation, a voice of priorities, and a voice of proclamation. Number one, a voice of preparation. John said, I'm a voice asking you to prepare a way in the wilderness of sin for the Lord, for the Lord is coming. And this was John's unique calling. He was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus. And he said, God has called me. He has sent me to be a voice, not an echo, but a voice to say to a world, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. Now, now listen to this. The Pharisees and the scribes were religious prigs. You may prefer to say religious prudes. They didn't do this, and they didn't do this, and they didn't do this, and they didn't do this. They wouldn't go a certain distance on Saturday because it was the holy day. And they tithed, and they did all kinds of good things. But inside their hearts, there was pride. There was sin. There was fakery. There was maliciousness. There was hatred. There was variance. There was emulation. There were all those spiritual sins that Jesus condemned. And listen, beloved friend, I am not in any sense condoning physical sins. God forbid, for without holiness we cannot see the Lord. And God wants every believer to be holy unto the Lord. But our Lord Jesus was much more severe on spiritual sins than he was physical sins. 
when those prudes dragged that woman taken in adultery to Jesus and threw her down and say, said, now Moses said she ought to be stoned. What do you say? What did our Lord do? He got down and wrote in the sand. I don't know what he wrote. Maybe the Ten Commandments or the, I don't know what. And then he stood up and he said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. And he stood, stooped down again and began to write in the sand again. And when he stood again, all the accusers were gone. Jesus said to that woman, woman, where are your accusers? No, she said, no man, Lord. And the Lord said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. By that simple act, he forgave her. He healed her of her impurity. He planted in her heart a care, a worth, a love. And he said to her, you are of intrinsic value to my heavenly Father. God didn't make you to proffer your body to be given out to all the tawdry, cheap men of the earth. God made you for something better than that. Go and sin no more. But he said to these Pharisees and scribes who were filled with pride and fakery, if you're without sin, then you can cast the first stone at her. And they knew they were guilty. John said, I'm a voice. And I submit to you this morning as believers in Christ, we need to be a voice in a wilderness of fakery. I have a quotation from Dr. H.C. Trumbull, a great soul winner. And Dr. Trumbull, who edited a paper in his lifetime that reached 100,000 people every week, he said, the reason it's so hard to win people to Jesus be, is because of people who say they know Jesus. Let me repeat. The reason it's so hard to win people to Jesus is because of people who say they know Jesus. And they live tawdry, cheap, pharisaical, pride-filled lives. And so this morning I'm a voice. And I ask you to be a voice, crying in the wilderness of fakery, crying in the wilderness of pride, crying in the wilderness of all kinds of spiritual sins that would wrap their cold tentacles around us and freeze out the power and the love of God in our midst. Be done with these lesser things and fix your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and let the warmth of Christ fill your life. And while we're getting rid of these spiritual sins of pride, and incidentally, I've observed through the years, that the people who go out, I'm not saying this is always a general principle, but I'm saying I've observed this. Please get the difference. The people who go out to accomplish great things for God in this earth, from this church, have been people who have walked down that aisle many, 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 many times, saying, Pastor, I feel a coldness in my heart. I feel some sin in my life. God has dealt with this, and I want to confess it and get rid of it. And some religious prudes. I'm glad I don't know who you are. I don't want to do it. It's not personal in any sense. But in, I hear from the grapevine from time to time. Religious prudes stand back and say, oh, same person walked down the aisle again today, didn't he? You ever heard that? 
Same old person, didn't he? Same little child, same young person, same young teenager, same college student. Walked down the aisle again. <laughs> Filled with pride. You never walked down the aisle. And I want to tell you, the ones that are out there on the front battle lines for God, pounding the devil and serving God and winning souls are hundreds of them who have walked down this aisle doing the very thing that you criticize. And I'm saying to you, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness of pride, asking God to convict my heart and your heart, our hearts collectively of that sin that we might forsake it, get rid of it, be filled with the humility, the wonderful Spirit of Jesus. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all His wonderful passion and purity. And then, while we're thinking of that, I want to be a voice crying in the wilderness to warn people, to prepare, because there's a serpent of sin who hisses at your spiritual life and would tear you all to pieces. I could preach all morning on liquor. Somebody said, Preacher, every time I come over to church, you talk about liquor. Well, I'll tell you, every, pla every time I go anywhere in the city, I see liquor. Every time I drive down the street, I see liquor here, liquor there, beer here, whiskey there, gin here, and all the across this city. And I tell you, we need some voices raised against it. I, I heard an interesting thing that Robbie Bright told me. And I'm sure everybody was at Camp Joy the other day heard about it, knew about it. They were up there camping in the night. And they were flashing their lights around and getting ready to go to bed. bunks out and rolling them out and, and all of a sudden they heard something and they flashed their lights around and there was a rattlesnake three feet away. And the way I heard it was six feet long. If I had been there, it had been 12 feet long. And, uh, and they they, they didn't know what to do. Somebody ran somewhere else and they were going down to get Mr. Norman who was the director of this camp and incidentally did a wonderful job up there and they tried to get him and, and in the meantime somebody struck at him and that snake went back and coiled up. Went like that. Just almost defying them. Now I want to know something. Who in your right mind this morning would say, well you little boys, you mean to tell me you were scared of a little old rattlesnake that was trying to coil up and just look pretty? Why did you run down and try to get Mr. Norman? Why did you have so much excitement? Why did you clear out the camp and go back to the camp and sleep in the dorms that night? Would you say that? No, you wouldn't. You'd say, well, I think you're pretty wise. They killed the snake, incidentally, before it killed them. I'm a voice speaking out against the serpent of sin that hisses at you. And he puts out a little bit of warnings, but not much because he's so pretty. He's held up in the bright lights. And I want to warn you that sin, whatever form it finds itself in, whether it is free sex, 
whether it is liquor, whether it is drugs and dope, whether it is whatever your pet sin is, none of these things, but something else, whatever it is, it will seek to drain your life of all spiritual power. And you think I'm not going to speak to warn you of those things? I'm a voice. And I want to ask our people to be a voice crying in a wilderness of sin. Prepare the way for the Lord. Number two, a voice of priorities. Look in verse 25, John 1, 25. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then? If thou be not that Christ, nor Elijah, neither that prophet, John answered and said, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. I want to be a voice of priorities. That's what John was. John was a voice of priorities. Look specifically in verse 27. He who is coming after me is preferred before me whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to loose. Beloved friends and brethren and sisters, we are representatives of the King of Heaven. We are ambassadors for Christ, says the royal ambassador watchword. We are ones who represent the court of another here in this earth. I am a stranger here within a foreign land. My home is brighter far than Ro Sharon's rosy plain. Eternal life and light throughout its vast domain. My sovereign bids me tell how mortals there may dwell. And that's my business for my king. I'm here to give you priorities, to urge you to make the biggest priority in your life the Lord Jesus Christ and winning folks to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you win a person, you may, you may touch thousands of people. The greatest soul winning is done one by one, not in mass evangelism. A Sunday school teacher, Mr. Kimball, in 1858, put his hand on the shoulder of a Boston shoe clerk and urged him to give his life to Christ. The clerk, Dwight L. Moody, became an evangelist and in England in 1879, awakened evangelistic zeal in the heart of F.B. Meyer, pastor of a small church. F.B. Meyer, preaching on an American college campus, brought to Christ a student named J. Wilbur Chapman. J. Wilbur Chapman, engaged in YMCA work, employed a former baseball player, Billy Sunday, to do evangelistic work. Sunday held a revival meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina. A group of local men were so enthusiastic afterward that they planned another evangelistic campaign, and they brought to that city Mordecai Ham, the fighting evangelist from Bowling Green, Kentucky. And in that revival, a young man named William Graham heard the gospel and yielded his life to Jesus Christ. That was Billy Graham. Ed Kimball won just one man, 17-year-old boy D.L. Moody. A chain reaction that has never ceased. You go out and win somebody to Christ, that's prior, that's priority. That's our prior claim upon our lives as individual men and women become soul conscious and soul winners and we go out determining to decide to know the destiny, the eternal destiny of everyone with whom we come in contact, then 
there will be some people won. You may not win everybody, but you'll win one person. And that one person may have a flame kindled in his heart and he'll go out and touch somebody else and that somebody else will touch somebody else and so a chain reaction has started and you can never tell who your spiritual children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great-grandchildren in your own lifetime may be. If I should ask for a showing of hands here this morning of teenagers who believe that you have some spiritual children I think I'll do that. Teenagers, but you're not even 20 yet. You're under 20, children and teenagers. How many of you feel like you have some spiritual children, somebody you have won to personal faith in Christ? Lift your hands. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that. That's wonderful. They're modesty, but they put their hands up. I'd be interested to know if some of you who are teenagers already have grandchildren. Can anybody think of some grandchildren you might have? Spiritual grandchildren. You know what I'm talking about? Great-grandchildren. You say, preacher, have you gone off your rocker? What are you talking about? I'm talking about when you win somebody to Christ and that person goes out and wins somebody else and that person wins somebody else. That's what John the Baptist was talking about. He's saying, I am pointing to Jesus. I want to introduce you to Jesus. Now, who was he talking to? He was talking to all those people down there, scribes and Pharisees and real disciples and fake disciples and so on. He was talking to all of them. He said, I am talking about one who is coming after me. He, this is the Jesus, and he is preferred before me, and I want to point you to him. I want you to, I want you to get in contact with him. Now, the very next step was very, very simple. You, we see the result of this priority emphasis in John's life. Beginning in verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. John was a proclaimer, the voice of a proclaimer. That's what he was. He said, I don't want to point you to me. I want to point you to Jesus, the Son of God. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And the Gospel of John tells us that there were two disciples, just two, who heard John. Now, now, there were many disciples who heard that, but there were two specifically who heard John. One was Andrew, and the other, there's a veiled reference in this book, it was John, the beloved apostle. They were John the Baptist's disciples. And when John the Baptist, the voice, said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, Andrew and John immediately left John the Baptist and began to follow Jesus. And they walked with him and they talked with him and they went to where he was residing and their hearts were so filled with Jesus Peter became that great preacher that won 3,000 people to Jesus on one day in Pentecost John was the only one of the Apostles who lived a natural life and died an old man he died at the end of the New Testament era the first century but not before he had written the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation, and blessed thousands of people, millions of people through the years, because John the Baptist was a voice of proclamation. Behold the Lamb of God. Do you want to know how to make your life really count? Oh, beloved friends, not by storing away 
hundreds and thousands of dollars in a bank. So when you're dead, the children can argue and squabble over you and say, well, daddy left more to Joel than he did to Mary. No, no. I think the greatest thing that, that you can live, leave behind you is the testimony of faith in Jesus Christ and point your children and your friends and all the others to Jesus, the Lamb of God. More than anything in this earth, I want that said about me when the Lord takes me from this earth. I want to be a pointer. I want to be a voice. I don't want to be an echo. I don't want to be an echo. And oh my God, raise up voices here at this church. Voices among our people. Voices among teenagers. Voices among college students. Voices among businessmen who will refuse to be an echo but a voice. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee that thou hast called us to be a voice crying in a wilderness of discord and disharmony and dissidence and discouragement and despair and depression, a voice of preparation, a voice of priorities, a voice of proclamation. And dear Lamb of God, Lord Jesus Christ, make thyself real to people today. We pray that somebody who is here on the verge of deciding for Christ, that he'll come today. Not tomorrow, not some other time, but today. And someone who has already received Christ will come today. Somebody who needs a church home will come today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. May we stand, please. We're going to sing God's invitation. This is God's invitation, not mine. It is his. And I want to plead with you to come to Christ. Now listen to me. There are some here this morning who have received Jesus in your heart, but you have not made it public. You may say, well, I don't even live here. That's all right, but you're in a service, and today you have the first opportunity to make a public commitment to Jesus Christ. Do it here, and then go wherever you live and do it there too. But you ought to come forward and say, I've given my heart to Christ. I'm not ashamed of him. I want to serve him. I'm glad he saved me. Would you do that? There are others who have not yet been saved. You need to come to Christ just as you are. Just come and say, Lord, here's my life. I give it to you. There are still others who need a church home. You ought to come today. And I believe there are some here that God has spoken to about being a voice. And you'd like to come and say, God, make me a voice for, for the glory of Jesus. Who'll come first for the king? While we begin to sing, will you come?